I'm now recording. Now? Muzz. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Muzz. Good, good afternoon, <laughs> Amy. Um, there's a flash freezing situation happening outside that... Yeah, it's bizarre. It makes me feel very scared to go outside. Yeah, it's nice to be in here. But mm-hmm. I am very excited yeah. to introduce you to our next guest. Who's this? Who is it? Cousin Martha. Cousin Martha. Cousin Martha. Yay. So uh, our next guest is Martha Jocelyn. Okay. She is my mom's cousin. Okay. Uh, that's how I know her since birth. Right. Um, and, oh, I do want to say, before we get into it, that Cousin Martha and I recorded this a few a while back. Right. And I've been avoiding, to be honest, um, editing and putting out this episode because... It feels like an additional responsibility because she's family. Okay. Because I have grown up, you know, you grow up with the stories of your family. Mm-hmm. And Martha's stories are extraordinary. Yeah. And I just want to do right by her and her wonderful family. You wanted to get this one right? That's I understandable. For so sure. then my approach to wanting to get it right was to avoid it. <laughs> You and many others. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you're alone there. Yeah. But then I decided, I, I, you know what? It's a, it's, it is an interesting story. Martha tells it. She's she has such a wonderful way of describing, you know, uh, like describing her family and her experiences yeah. and just weaves a tale in a really um, fascinating way. Yeah. We recorded it in my apartment. And I will say it was prior to us upgrading our mics. We sound glorious right now. I know that. Right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, so I can sometimes sound a little bit quiet, which is very weird. Um, but Martha is crystal clear. So that's really the, the most important thing. Um, but so Martha is mm-hmm. uh, her father, my great uncle Gordon, yeah. was my grandmother's mm-hmm. brother. Got it. I grew up. Uh, knowing Martha as uh, my mom's cousin who was very fancy living in New York City. So Martha and the Jocelyn family actually were kind of uh, known in our family as the the creative ones. Okay. Creative geniuses, really, all yeah. of them. Yeah. And we're going to hear about that? Yeah, we're going to hear about that. Right. And Martha has is a writer. She's an artist. She is an incredible designer sewer as yeah. well it's not even really something she does anymore <laughs> she just writes amazing books now that she wins awards for she writes young adult she's written uh aggie morton mystery series yeah. she's she you know what Super just freaking google her yeah yeah she's an interesting human in her own right um we still have actually and i love it we still have a an advent calendar that she sewed for us when we were little no kidding. where they're little like stuffed little like stuffed creatures like peacock and all these things that and it's like a felt advent calendar and each and my mom still puts it out i love it you might have to post a picture of that on the gram that's a really oh you're right i should because it is worth it's worth looking at and anytime i see an article of clothing on martha or her two daughters hannah and nell who Mm -hmm. i grew up with they're i'm about a decade older than they are okay uh and i babysat them when we were younger they spent their their most of their year in New York City. They were both um, like raised in Manhattan, but then they came to Stratford for summers. 
because Martha owned a house in Stratford. Best of both worlds. That's right. I'm sure they they had just as much fun in Stratford as they did in New York City. <laughs> Let's go with that. Uh, I actually think we should interview Nell sometime, if only for her brushes with fame. Because anytime <laughs> I ask Nell about a, a good celebrity yeah. interaction she's had, it's a good story. It's amazing. Awesome. Each one's better than the next. Uh, but so I asked Martha if she would come on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and introduce us to her family, her family uh, growing up. Yeah. So she grew up in Toronto. Uh, her mother, Joy, and her father, Gordon, who is my great uncle, raised she and her three siblings yeah. in Toronto. Sort of a creative, definitely a creative household. My mom remembers, um, for example, her older brother, Tim, designed Barbie clothes when they were young or like at least yeah. was like dressing up the Barbies sure. in these really. So, yeah. um, so she had her oldest sister, Paula, yeah. Tim, her older brother, Martha, mm-hmm. and then her younger brother, Matthew. Okay. And they grew up in Toronto and Martha introduces us this first section. We're going to focus on, um, a little bit of an introduction to the family. And then she introduces us to her mother, Joy, who is the first member of her family um, that she lost when she was 20. Uh, and I and I think, like, with each story that she tells, like, each one is so, sort of improbable in its own right. And when you pull them all together, it's actually uh, like, almost unbelievable the um, loss that she and her family um, over the years has experienced. And um, I think it's also remarkable how she's able to tell the story and mm-hmm. with some humor and with yeah. obvious love and caring. And because of, like, our conversation was long, um, we've divided this into two episodes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do two episodes that are Martha Jocelyn. And um, yeah, it's here's a bon- Martha. Bonus. All right. The table is set. So. Let's start. Let's do this. Cousin, artist, writer, extraordinary human. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you for a variety of reasons, because I think you're um, very um, thoughtful and clever, and also have had a lot of experience with death and dying from people that you love close like close to you since you were quite young. Mm-hmm. Like you're... F- can you can you remind me how old were you? Uh, my mother was the first one to die, and I was twenty. So you were 20. I, I wasn't a kid, but I was. Yeah. But I, it was young. And you you grew up in Toronto, right? Yes. Okay, so this is where I always get um, mixed up. So your mom Joy and Gordon are both from Stratford. Yes. Okay. Paula and Tim were both born during while well, they were at different places, and then I. I was born in Toronto. So, so Paula a, is the oldest. Was the oldest? Yes. Paula, Tim, Martha, Matthew. Matthew. Yes. And so you were born in Toronto, and so was Matthew. Yes. Um. Growing up, did do you remember having prior to the death of Joy of your mother? Do you remember or recall? Um, death being in like experiencing close family death that my grandma my mother's mother Mm. died my the the 
woman who's in whose house I now live. Yeah, right. On Water Street. She was, um, she, Graham, she died when I was 10 years old. And what I remember about that is, I didn't really, I don't have any recollection of knowing for any extended period of time that she was sick before that. But the day that Joy, Joy got word from her older sister, Florence, mm-hmm. that Graham was in hospital and things were dire. My mother, who was a very unhappy driver, mm. uh, put Matthew and me into the car and drove us to Stratford. And Matthew has felt guilty all his life because we stopped to have cake and milk or something on the way. And when we got here, the phone was ringing in the front hall and it was Florence at the hospital and my grandmother had died. So my mother didn't get there in time. But I have, I still have a visual, a very strong visual memory of Joy sitting at the little telephone table in the front hall and just crumpling. Mm. And it was very rare that we would see my mother in a in a situation like that. So it was had a very strong impact. Had an impact. Yeah. And uh, for Matthew also to remember, <laughs> if only we hadn't had the cake. Exactly. I mean, it's funny the way the brain or, brain organizes things, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and do you remember your mom grieving beyond that moment? Not really. Mm. I just wasn't paying attention. I mean, I don't think kids do necessarily. And I think that she probably, I think she spent more time with her sisters. She probably came back and forth to Stratford a few times. I have no real recollection. Well, you were 10. I was 10. Yeah. I mean, you don't, I remember when Howard died, my grandpa Howard, um, it's the first time I've ever seen my dad cry. And I remember how disconcerting I found that. It's scary. It's yeah. It's scary. Because this, like, the safest people in your world are suddenly feel less safe. Like, not for, uh, not for any action that they're doing, but. Yeah, it's completely disorienting. It really is, yeah. And then Joy died 10 years later. She was very young. How old was Joy when she died? 56. She's so young. I know. Um, I'm 11 years older than she is than she was at her death now do you remember okay so please remind me and my apologies i know she was diagnosed with breast cancer ovarian ovarian cancer my apologies very late i mean it was not noticed it was her family doctor kind of shuffled her off for stomach pain bloating yep yeah standard standard did not notice did not occur to him to look further and so by the time it was figured out, it was way too late. So how long, do you remember how old you were when she was diagnosed, that you heard, that you found out that she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer? 19. Oh, so yeah. it was very quick. Yeah. Um, were you living at home at the time? No, I had moved out. I was sharing an apartment on Bathurst Street in Toronto with a friend, but when my mother got sick, I did move home. Yeah. Was she, did she spend um, much time, did she spend her time at home? What would, do you remember like her, 
wishes around that, around like the illness process. She wanted to be at home. She didn't want to die in a hospital. She didn't want to be sick in a hospital. And so she had, she did have surgery. Um, And other than that, like active need to be in a hospital, she wasn't in a hospital. Mm -hmm. We had her at home. And by we, I mean my father and me. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew was at university. Tim lived down, downtown. Paula was in England. And so I was the one that was there with my dad uh, for those months. Uh, my mother also had two sisters, Florence and Carol, mm-hmm. who were came and went. Um, I mean, not to stay overnight, but certainly visited. And she had a very good friend named Isabel, who had been a nurse, and she came and helped sometimes too. Um, But I was doing most of the cooking Mm -hmm. and being... Were you tending to her care needs as well? Toward the end, Mm -hmm. yes. She had hideous bed sores, Uh. and um, those really needed to be taken care of. Repositioned, like the whole... Yeah, all of it. And she was... We had... She was not upstairs where the bedrooms were. She we had a hot. We rented a hospital bed that was in the sunroom of the house at Neville Park. I don't know if you have any memories of that, but it had a really beautiful. It had two whole, two windows, you know, on two sides, and it was very bright and sunny and beautiful. And that's where that turned into her, her room. And so it was you and Gordon, like for the day to day. Yes. Managing Joy's care needs, cooking, and do you remember how long it was when you moved home, but when you moved home and and Joy passing away? I think I moved home in the fall of that year, and she died on June 3rd. So I think it would, you know, I was home for six or seven months yeah yeah and were you at her bedside when she died yes you were absolutely we all were actually at that point um because my brothers and my sister in the last several weeks Mm -hmm. all um matthew came home from university because it was the end of his time anyway we had informed paula that she needed to to come home yeah and Tim lived downtown so they were all there that day and her two sisters were there and Isabel was there and my father was there so we were all you were all at her bedside and she the day before she died she had a really kind of hilarious day Mm. she was she was hallucinating she was incredibly unfiltered and witty Mm. and she she just took us on a journey and i mean we sat there and cackled but she was not she was not aware of entirely of what she was doing but mm-hmm. she was having a full on conversation but it was it was very uh funny and heartwarming and then the next day she didn't wake up she was comatose mm-hmm. so that last day she was just in a in that pre pre-death state mm-hmm. yeah I think that state um can be 
I guess if you don't know what to expect, it can be quite scary for people. The, the, when the body, this is what in my experience and from like working in the hospital setting or, um, did you have like in the support, did you receive support? Did anyone tell you what to expect? Like what? I don't remember specifically. I'm pretty sure that Isabel really talked us through it, having been a nurse. And so she had seen it. She, she was really sad about my mother dying, but I think that she must have, because I don't remember feeling fear. I remember feeling sort of curious Mm -hmm. and amazed and absolutely knew it was the end, but and didn't want to miss us a moment, mm-hmm. you know. And we all, for the last many hours, sat around her. And I remember my sister saying, "Don't go, don't go," and me saying, "Let her go, let her go," mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that sort of uh, understanding of of everybody just feeling a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that seems like that's pretty understandable I would like quite common you know when you hear family members processing things and I wonder if you having been present for so many months and witnessing say for example the bed sores and things you're sort of hopeful for her that this can be over yeah I think I think that that really is true Mm. I think because my sister didn't get there until the last week or so Mm. and so I think she you know had had missed a lot yeah Uh, and for me yes it was partly just you're you're ready and this is this is very painful and was there a point in her illness where you had she had a conversation or you had a conversation acknowledging a yes that that she was going to die from ovarian cancer likely you know in the not so distant future um was that discussed no no it was really not i don't remember having had that conversation i knew she was going to die we knew she was going to die but it was never we didn't really have a conversation. One of the conversations I do remember having is her asking me about my boyfriend at the time. Do you think he's the one? Mm. Like her sort of wanting to know things yeah. that she wouldn't have a chance to know later. Yeah. I do remember that. But um, but there wasn't really a, a conversation. And you knew that, or at least had been discussed, that she didn't want to go to the hospital. She didn't want to die in the hospital. Right, and she she didn't want to die in the hospital. She didn't want a funeral. Mm. She didn't want, um, she wanted a gathering, but no, nobody was supposed to be talking (laughs) at the, you know, no speeches. Right, right. (laughs) Not just everyone sitting in silence. (laughs) Right. (laughs) She didn't want hard alcohol because she didn't want, she want anyone getting drunk and sobbing all over the place? Right. So, um, did she have any other like bedside wishes, things that, or did you like? Were there things that you knew or that she said would be comforting to her as she as she was going through the dying process? She, I, she dictated a number of letters 
to her dearest friends. Oh my God. I'm going to start crying. Um, she had a friend who lived in Calgary. She had one in a couple who lived in England and she had me write them letters and then they all wrote her letters back. So those were read aloud. So that was really nice in retrospect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, what else? I sewed her a special, because I was very into being a seamstress at that point. I sewed her a special bed jacket, like a quilted, you know. I can picture it. <laughs> I can! <laughs> so I actually still have it. Um, we did go wig shopping. She had she had a wig because she was, in those days, you really didn't, you know, women wore wigs and did not go bald. Sure. Um, now it's kind of, everybody's very excited to to be bald and then get the little tufts in the- and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um i mean that it brings up a, an interesting contrast really about shifts around illness as well i mean it's not perfect now but we certainly do talk about illness yes more than we maybe would way more yeah way more yeah yeah which i think is um probably i guess was Joy um, accepting of visitors when she was in, you know, by the when she was in bed in that front room? Is it, would she have been okay? Were there specific people, do you think? That... I think that people came and I, she didn't feel that, it, there wasn't any embarrassment. Mm. There was weakness, might yeah. have, might have stopped her. But she, she was really, she was really beloved. Yeah. You know, she, in the community, Everybody thought of her as the person to turn to. Like she was very um, a good listener, mm. and so I think she probably had. I mean, I was still going to school or going to work, actually, not school. So um, I worked at the St. Lawrence Center at that point in the oh. in the box office. Oh yes, <laughs> the box um, office job. So I was going to work every day, but so I wasn't there all the time during the day. And she may have had multiple friends, but usually I think, because my father was also working. Yeah. Um, Where was he working? Was he teaching? He was teaching, yeah. yeah. I think one of her sisters or Isabel would be there during most of each day. Like someone was there Mm -hmm. toward the end, especially. Yeah. And so there would probably have been visitors from time to time. Neighbors I know came by and brought stuff and... Did you, when Joy passed, so the day before you had this kind of, this, it's, it's, um, it's not un- uncommon. I, I've, I think like in some of the, the coursework I've done in the research, there's this sort of gush of energy or something mm-hmm. or like, like life that comes out, um, pre like preceding the, mm-hmm. the actual death. Um, and I think that's why sometimes it takes some people by surprise. The the I mean, it is interesting, or not by surprise, just sort of they there you can allow yourself to hope a little bit, <laughs> you know. Um, but after Joy passed away, did you have um, I guess maybe not predetermined, but did what was your process as a family? Um, this is where I think we f- fell down mm. because. 
Gordon had been, Gordon was pretty de- devastated. Of course. Yeah. Um, but, but he felt that we, because we had been there and helped her and in his own mind, you know, we had, we had gone through this process together, mm. even though we never really talked about it. Mm. He thought that we, you know, he was offered counseling and family counseling and, um, just said, no, no, we don't, we don't need that. Not in a, not in a, there's anything wrong with counseling, but mm. we've already done the work that we needed to do kind don't of worry. way. <laughs> don't worry. We're, we're just, we're just fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that was probably not necessarily true. <laughs> and, and then we were uh, hit only a few months later with Paula's accident we're recording okay okay so, good. mild cliffhanger well uh great start to the conversation you guys sound wonderful yeah 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 it's well nice. martha sounds wonderful she sure does yeah um i know a little bit of a cliffhanger because yeah. we're i want to take the time for a, a second here to talk about joy and that loss <laughs> i thought you were gonna do an ad for something here <laughs> <laughs> well, hops water. We'll go back to hops water. Um, no, the the way that Martha um, describes, I I was really struck by when she's talking about when Joy is is like really close to dying. Yeah, and she's been by her bedside for yeah. the months and mm-hmm. and witness, been witness to everything and the family coming in, sort of feeling like, oh my god, no, it's too soon. Please don't go. Yeah contrasted with her just wanting her to be able to go yeah it's such a it's very sweet and yeah it's a it's a nice perspective yeah just like this is it's it is time now yeah um and i i can tell you that i never met joy of course she died before i was born um but she was beloved yeah it sounds like it yeah for sure certainly um from, you know, when I talked to, when I've talked to my mom about her and everything, it was just, she was a wonderful woman who, um, like, by the community, by family, by everyone. So I think that was, like, at, at the age of 20 for Martha to have moved out and then to move home. That's a big thing for a 20-year-old. Yeah. I'm picturing yeah. myself at the age of 20. Your kids. I was like, uh, I need money for party mix this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get some beers tragedy i don't have the money for you know or whatever like i think it's that is i'm struck often by how unscathed i got through like 30 years relatively unscathed and you just hear these stories and you're like wow it's a different life yeah it is and the like perseverance and of people and like strength and yeah yeah big time it's impressive and I think that is it just as you hear more about Martha's story, because we're about to talk about Paula, mm-hmm. that um, because there's just it's hard to get your mind around. And, you know, we'll continue on with Martha's story and, the, you know, the cliffhanger being just a few months later, Paula had her accident. So we're going to get into the story of Paula. So okay. Paula, um, after Joy died. Um, Martha explains that Matthew, her youngest brother, Paula, mm-hmm. her oldest sister, yeah. take a trip to France. And um, yeah, so now we're going to hear 
Okay, let's hear that. Yeah. Great. Right. Paula's first accident. Yes. And so... So, sorry, can you tell me about that? Yes. So, Paula and Matthew... um, left in the fall after joy died in after june. joy died in june and they went off to france matthew for his first year of university is that right first year of first year of something anyway post-grad, he post-grad is, maybe yeah. whatever he, they went off to france they were going to be in aix-en-provence hmm. both at university paula had decided after a number of years trying to be a dancer in london she had decided she wanted to be an interpreter, a simultaneous interpreter. And she spoke French pretty well. Um, and Matthew also had been very keen on French. He'd done, I guess, undergrad at in Montreal, so, or something. No, that was post, oh, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Matthew is too much. I know, I was like, you know what? Are we, we going to list Matthew's degrees? We don't have time. <laughs> so, um, anyway, they went off to France together, and it was the first time that they had actually been oldest and youngest yeah Yeah. eight years apart so they had never they never lived together I mean Paula moved off to university when Matthew was a kid still right um yeah he was like eight or nine years old and off she went to university and then they experienced this profound loss together and then well yeah but from very much afar. Of course. So, and so they so it was kind of an adventure for both of them and off they went and only about two months after they were there, uh, my Aunt Carol actually went over for a week's vacation. She worked for Air Canada, so she could fly to various places, and that was lovely, and they had a wonderful weekend. And then the following weekend, I think they went, to, they were had decided they would just go off to have little day trips or weekend trips to various places. And they went to Saint-Rémy, and they noticed a little park with a statue in it across the road. And they went over to check out the statue. Mm-hmm. This is what I remember. I mean, how do I know? This is what I remember from a million years ago. Mm-hmm. So w- Matthew may listen to this and go, that's not what happened at all. But this is my <laughs> recollection and my you know, interpretation. Um, I think Paula went over, Matthew stayed on one side of the street, Paula went over, checked out the statue, turned around and to come back, and she was hit by a car on, on the street. Right. Paula was deaf in one ear from childhood meningitis, Okay. so that may have contributed. It was an old man who was driving the car with his wife, that may have contributed, mm-hmm. but she was hit and extremely injured. Yes very severely uh, brain damaged and she was in a coma for six weeks. They took her to the hospital in Marseille Mm -hmm. and Gordon took a leave of absence uh, from his teaching job in Toronto and flew to Europe. And this is 
mere months after Joy's passed. Yes. Yeah, although just even as I'm sitting here, I'm going, wait, was it three months, four months, or was it a full year and four months? Like, I honestly, I'm having a bit of a hiccup in my brain. I mean, though, regardless, both are very short. Very I short. Went, the, yeah. Like a devastating loss of a loved one, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and cause I, you know, I remember, I have a memory of Paula in a wheelchair coming to Newmarket with Gordon. Oh, yeah. It's possible that I was in Stratford at, at uh, Mamie and Grandpa's, but in my mind, I'm certain they came to Newmarket. And I remember, I remember being terrified of Paula. I think it was in Newmarket. I think I was there as well. I think it was, I think your parents actually had a big party there. Yeah. And so like there was a reunion kind of a f- event. I didn't mean to be unkind by saying I was, I was a little kid, so it was, I'd never seen someone in a wheelchair Yeah, before. no. Oh, I totally, yeah. Um, and so the reason, that's why I remembered, I think, is because it, I was so, what, what and is this? And she wasn't just in a wheelchair. Yeah. Because she spoke in a weird way. Yes, I remember and that. And she had a tracheotomy, so, I mean, she had, I don't know at that particular event whether it was, there were many many months where this was an open thing right in her throat and so and she was made paraplegic as well uh paraplegic yes so she was paraplegic and severely brain damaged and she had pretty pretty um advanced aphasia Mm, she could still be pretty funny yeah um expressive express yes So, she, so yeah, she, she, it took her years of rehabilitation. Yeah. She was in the hospital for almost three years. Oh my God. And then she was in... In France? No, in France, she was in hospital for mm, the six weeks of coma mm. and then another f- few weeks well, we figured out how to get her home. Right. My father, I know, in France, told them to pull the plug. He did. And they said, we are a Catholic nation. We do not pull the plug. I see. That was when he, she was still in a coma. And there was very little hope yeah. held out for her. And the prognosis, if she were to recover, was pretty grim. Yeah. And, Gord- and Gordon was just you know afraid and of course grieving (laughs) violently and um well so whenever I have because my mom uh we've I've talked about um Paula and Tim and just over the years you know if they come up my mom has always said how absolutely brilliant Paula was um like incredibly clever I don't know a ton about her. Like the- she was the smart one in the Jocelyn family. <laughs> Which is, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Um, and you said she was still quite um, clever after the accident. Was she funny prior? Was she, did you know her to be a funny she could older be, sister? She wasn't a laugh riot. She wasn't like having Amy for an older sister. Oh, Martha. <laughs> <laughs> but but she was she could be pretty witty yeah quite dry mm-hmm. and 
she was an astounding reader. Yeah. And really, I mean, my memory of her is so, is so off kilter because of the enormity of who she became. Yeah. Has sort of erased who she was. Yeah. So, um, so that's hard. When she came back, so she was in the hospital for three years and then presumably had full care needs on leaving hospital. Well, not full care. Okay. Because what happened was she went into um, protected living, sheltered, whatever it's called. Oh, like assisted living. Assisted living. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Protected, sheltered. No, Assisted living. Um, There was a new facility on lower... Dufferin Street, I think. Right. And she, so she had her own little apartment. Oh. And, and, it, and it was on a floor with other people with pretty strong needs. And there were attendants who lived on the floor. And you could book them to come and help you sh- bathe or cook or right. take you out shopping or whatever. But she, she lived there by herself in that little apartment. And do you have a sense of, her quality of life or her perspective on what her life was like during that time? I think from the outside, it was so grim. Yeah. (laughs) So bleak. Yeah. But she, she seemed to mostly just plug along. Right. And she, she sometimes would have cooking accidents, like trying to boil an egg or something, and she would splash boiling water on herself. Or, yeah. And that would be tremendously frustrating. She kept these big, huge, she had giant um, sketchbooks, and she would write and draw in these sketchbooks. I mean, it was really laborious for her to hold. Her arms, were, her arms and hands were affected? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. One of them was completely, her right hand was completely affected, so she was learning to write with her left hand, but it was very shaky and and, uh, <laughs> and big, large letters. And she, so she would just sort of write stream of consciousness stuff. So it's pretty interesting. Do you still have it? I do. Yeah. Uh, several, like many of these notebooks. So that's, so she occupied herself with that. And she went to swimming classes and she went to, there were, um, you know, weaving and Of course. As an things. occupational therapist, <laughs> I can tell you there's probably a right. thousand different things that someone's made up to like be for fun, but also to help with fine motor skills yes, and things yes. like that. Absolutely. And so she, and she continued to have physiotherapy. Yeah. I've sort of met run into some of her therapists over the years the occupational therapists and really you know people that right that will sometimes i'll get a random email uh through my website really from people who would reintroduce themselves she made an impact she definitely made an impact yeah she really did so partly because of the devastation and her youth and so on but yeah how old was she when that accident occurred she was 27. She was she was back in the hospital for however long and then out in her apartment in Toronto. Were you living in Toronto at that time or had you moved to New York? I was there until she, I mean, she came home and I was there for a few months and then I moved to New York. Right. But she was still in hospital. Right. Because I would go back to visit her in the hospital when I came home. And Gordon... Was he still, was he, did he go back to teaching? He had sort of a, 
bumpy end to his teaching career mm-hmm. uh, because he was actually fired by the Board of Education oh. f- when my sister, when he did not, when he stayed in France to oversee my sister situation and did not come back at the end of when they felt his leave should be up. He re- had requested an extension to the leave and they said no and they fired him. So, oh my God, it was, it was very, it was, that is awful. It was pretty awful. And then after Paula was situated, mm-hmm. he started to, he, he started to work as an actor. Okay. And so he had a job as a, well, uh, that's where I am very familiar with Gordon's work, of course, because of the um, commercials, <laughs> several commercials that I would know that that was my great uncle. Um, was it a soup? Was it a soup commercial? There was also, I remember him telling me um, he was in one of the Friday the 13th movies and had his head blown off. I thought that was very exciting, even though I never watched those movies because I don't like feeling stressed out i don't i'll do i do it enough on my own i don't need something extra like external to stress me out he has a pivotal role in um the movie dead zone did you ever see dead zone it's a brilliant movie made from a stephen king novel and it christopher walken is the star oh no not uh uh martin sheen a man has no it is Christopher Walken and Martin Sheen Christopher Walker Walken falls through the ice or something and he has this you know cataclysmic brain freeze and and comes out of his own coma with the ability if he touches someone to know when they when and how they're going to die and so so Stephen he, King how does he come up with that stuff <laughs> So, so uh, Martin Sheen plays a really sleazeball, Trumpian, so pre-Trump character running for president. That's who Trump based it on. And I, there's no question. And so um, he wants to set off some sort of uh, military something or other. And Gordon plays the general who ha- whose palm has to activate that is pivotal it's so pivotal it's such it's a the literal it's, catalyst he's i will he's on it. screen for a minute and a half and it's like movie the total yeah movie history wow i mean that's pretty amazing actually to um experience like <laughs> such profound tragedy and then to also then have a very successful acting career <laughs> following yeah. Um, so so then, so then my sister's my sister was her body was so catastrophically affected yeah. by this accident that she had always had things going wrong. Yeah, of course. And so on one of the times Infection. that she infections and she had a fish wire holding her prolapse in place and oh. she had like the tracheotomy stuff and she had all kinds of stuff all the time. So she was in and out of hospital, despite, you know, living independently. independently. Yeah. Um, so on one of her times in hospital, she was waiting outside for Gordon to pick her up after the procedure had been completed. And this is 10, 10 years later? Um, exactly 10 years later. Yeah. In Toronto, outside of the hospital. Outside of Women's College Hospital. Yeah. 
where we all were born. Right. By the way, or not all of us, but Matthew and I anyway. Um, and she was waiting for my dad. And a taxi drive. She was in the little park. She was wearing a hat that Tom and I had given her for her birthday. And her birthday's August 3rd, and this happened on August 15th, I believe. Um, taxi driver who had cheated on his medical, had a heart attack at the wheel of his cab, lost control of the car, and coming up, there's a drive that goes up to Women's College Hospital mm -hmm. and just didn't, you know, he was clearly very uh, unwell yeah. and lost control. The car went through the little barrier into the garden and crushed her in her wheelchair. And he died, the cab driver died, his passenger died, and my sister died. And we were told at the time that my sister had died instantly, but I attended the inquest which occurred because of the highly freak nature of this accident. No there, kidding. There was a, an inquest, and I learned in that inquest that she was alive for 50 minutes or something after the after impact. Did, Gor did Gordon see that? Gordon did not see it. He arrived, and there was mayhem. That is devastating. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It is. It's the uh, one of those completely freak, impossible accidents. And I didn't know, and I'm very sorry that you found out that she was alive for whatever period of time it ended up being. Yeah, that was that was really grim, actually. How do you sit with that? Like, yeah, is that something that I, you? You process? How I tried, I mean, I really don't dwell on that. Yeah. But at the time, that the whole inquest was so weird. Yeah. And I was seated next to the taxi driver's wife for some reason at this inquest. I don't know whether the families were just put into a special box, but I do remember that. And I remember that she was very defensive. I think it's, I mean, who organized it? It was just like <laughs> someone devoid of emotion. I don't understand the human experience. Let me put you all together. <laughs> and see what happens. Yeah. Oh. See if you can feel some feels. So I do, that's my vague memory of her. She was defensive with, with you? I mean, or she just... was, pro yeah, but not, not in a cruel way. No. Just, I think she must have felt terrible. Of course. And so, and she had also lost her husband. Yeah. So. But he had done something wrong. Yeah. And it ended up, this inquest ended up changing the taxi federation's um, way of handling medicals. Because prior to Paula being killed, drivers just had to fill in a form. Have you seen a doctor in the last six months? Have you done it? Do you have problems? Do you get rashes? Do you have a heart condition? And... They just could tick, 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 tick. Right. And that was that. And give it back without actually having seen a doctor. Mm -hmm. And that changed. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, my sister was killed 
before we had to tell her that Tim had been diagnosed with what was then called ARC, AIDS-related complex. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I'm speechless. I know. Unbelievable. It really is. When you, well, we were just saying before we started recording, we might as well say it while we're recording. Yeah, I was just saying, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> for and over. I know. Wow. It's kind of like why it made sense to why we decided to divide this into two episodes also. Yeah, take a bit of a beat. Yeah, take a pause, uh, digest mm. the insanity that was Paula being hit by a car twice. Yeah, I don't even know what the chances of that is. It sounds <sighs> super improbable and... Yeah. I don't know. I don't have the proper words for it. Either. I know. I also think about Gordon. Yeah. Uh, he, she lived in Toronto. He lived in Toronto. Whenever, like, I just remember Gordon being by Paula's side a lot. So he spent like the latter half of his life. So Joy died. He was there. And also like for 10 years, an advocate and caregiver for Paula. Yeah interspersed with being a very famous actor <laughs> that, as it turns too, out yes. um i believe he did a nab no nabob a coffee commercial for sure where he was an uh, he uh, was playing the cello but i don't think it was actually him playing it i just remember as a kid being like that's my great uncle <laughs> um movies etc once yeah. he had to do a career pivot because of the toronto school board yeah um well, he sounds like someone who, if he needed to learn the cello for commercial, he probably could. <laughs> he probably definitely yeah. could have, for sure. Um, so in the next episode, we're going to find out about Tim. Okay. So uh, Martha finishes off with, you know, just very, at that time, they didn't get a chance to, and probably for the best, tell Paula that Tim had been diagnosed with. This was yeah. in the 80s. So yeah. what well, was a brand new? Early, early on. Yeah, illness. That was another like a real shameful point in uh, in our history in terms mm-hmm. of um, the management, the investigation, the treatment of folks who ultimately would die of what is now AIDS. But yeah. um, Tim was one of the first in Canada, and yeah, we'll hear about Tim from from Martha. Okay, great. In our next episode. Look forward to it. 